on today's episode of Policy Wise. I didn't really know like the things that I was doing had to do anything with public health. I sat down and I really thought about it and I realized, wow, like everything is public health. Now, maybe more than ever, what the CDC says matters a lot less than what it used to. And in fact, I see a lot more memes about what the CDC is saying than I do what CDC is actually saying. A lot of the mistrust for even just the healthcare system in the U.S. has come from like real like forms of like systemic racism. In the communities that suffer the most, know that there's something wrong with their communities. Like there's no reason I should not ha I should have trouble finding healthy food. So many of the lessons that we learn are like memorization of a certain topic, and you know I felt like I wasn't passionate about anything because I was like, okay, I can memorize it and like put it on a test. And like, a lot of the time, young people can sometimes just be used as like a mascot for a lot of like older officials. We're the ones who are coming up with this stuff going forward. So who I would call mentors are people who are still my age. I realize like there's many platforms to actually make substantial change and you, it, a lot of people just don't have the vocabulary or platform. It's just funny because you said it was your government class that told you to do policy and AP I kind of feel like it was your AP bio <laughs> class that told you not to when do I, That's when I should have learned. That's really when I should have known. <laughs> One day I'm gonna run the CDC. I'm gonna go down to Atlanta. I'm gonna just take over completely and run it my way. But more on that later. Welcome to PolicyWise. On this episode of PolicyWise, we are so excited to introduce our newest team member. Can I get a drum roll, please? Raymart, welcome to PolicyWise. Oh man, glad to be here. I'm Raymart, he, him, his. Uh, I'm from Fresno, California. I'm a public health, health administration major at uh, Fresno State right now. And uh, just looking forward to being a part of the policy wise team. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. Just to start us off, Raymark, could you give us a little introduction to yourself? And when you do that, could you please describe yourself in the way that you most like whoever's described you in the best way ever, just like redo that introduction? Like your favorite introduction of yourself. Well, the best thing I've been like described as is like a kind of like a short Hugh Jackman Wolverine type of thing. But... <laughs> For me, if I were to describe myself, not much, man. I'm just a, I'm just a regular dude. I'm from Fresno, California. Like I said, I'm a full Filipino. Um, parents came from the Philippines. Over here, I'm the firstborn in the U.S. And I was just, I'm just trying, trying to figure things out. Trying to, I'm more passionate about public health in my community, and just, yeah, trying to figure out what I could do to help my community. That's the best way I could describe myself. Someone that's trying to do better for everyone else. Raymart, I just wanted to to dive a little bit into like why you chose your major and what like what makes you so I guess so interested in the health of your community. I mean, public health is pretty rooted into the the health of people. And how did you get there? How did you make that decision? So surprisingly, it was before the COVID nineteen pandemic. So <laughs> uh, to be fair, I, like I feel like most people who are in their majors now who do great in their majors don't even like never really were passionate from it like at the very beginning like as nobody knew, knew what they were going to be when they were younger and for me it was kind of just like it hit me all at once and it took a while but I joined a youth leadership institute in 2016 and that's just because you know I needed something to do needed a little side something and I got invited to a Thanksgiving meet for a Fresno Boys and Men of Color uh, now a Fresno Redefining Equity Through Policy and at that meeting I got to connect with so many different people Tim Haydock with the No Youth Media, Shermua from Fresno Boys and Men of Color and that just uh, took off from there and to be fair like I didn't really know like the things that I was doing had to do anything with public health I was just showing up to meetings because you know some of my homies were at these uh organiz were in these organizations and I wanted to learn more about uh, what people's stories were and what made me realize like I was passionate about public health didn't even come until four years later when I had to decide my major 
And when I was, you know, filling out college applications, I was like putting random majors down. And eventually I was like, all right, let me do the community college route first until I can actually decide what I care about. And I was doing, as I was doing, I was going through different um, majors and I sat down and I really thought about it. And I realized, wow, like everything is public health in a way to me. Like mm -hmm. a lot of the work that I got to do with Youth Leadership Institute and Fresno Boys and Men of Color and, and the No Youth Media have had to do with like some issues that I just seen in my community every day and didn't really even think of. And I realized like a lot of it had to do with health. And what really made me passionate is how I realized like everything has to do with community health. Everything from your area code, your zip code, like where the nearest park is in your area, everything has to do with bettering the health of your community. And that's what really got me interested in it. And I'm just barely getting into the field now, but I've, for the first time in like years, I feel really passionate about the stuff I'm learning about and what I look forward to learning. I love that. I feel like we're going to have some really interesting conversations because my whole deal is environmental stuff and that's like hand in hand with public health. So I already have the gears turning in my head and maybe I'm getting too far ahead of myself, but... You brought up COVID briefly and how like public health was your interest before COVID became a thing. So I'm kind of curious as to like how the pandemic has maybe shifted or like enhanced your desire to do public health. It shifted it completely because I realized like a lot of this stuff is common sense, like, but it doesn't necessarily act out the way it should, even though it's like, oh yeah, of course we want to put the health of people like first that should be the priority making sure as many people are as healthy as possible don't get diseases as many people have access to health care but that's not the way things work and i think covid really just showed the weakness in the public health system in the u.s and how many people actually don't believe in the public health system in the u.s mm -hmm. and it's understandable i think a big part of the job has to do with realizing like you have to meet people where they're at not everybody like really necessarily know are willing to give up their own rights to make sure that their neighbor and their people in their area and community are as healthy as possible. And I think the COVID-19 pandemic really showed the weaknesses in not just uh, the public health system, but different systems in the U.S. as well, educational, uh, in the government level, in the local level. It just made me realize that there's a lot of room for improvement and growth and a lot of people in the field that never even necessarily even thought about, oh, what would happen if a global pandemic really hit, like, right now and we weren't prepared for that in all honesty and i think one good thing if there is any good thing is that there's going to be a lot more people that actually are more passionate and care about it and are going to be inspired to go and want to be in these positions of power to decide what's best for the community so yeah a lot a lot has shifted from just the past two years totally i'm so excited that you're on our team <laughs> <laughs> With all of the experience that you've had and now studying health, um, also experiencing the global pandemic, has your definition of health changed and shifted? Um, and what is it now? I think before I even got involved with the Youth Leadership Institute, Fresno Boys and Men of Color and the No Youth Media, I think I feel like most people in the communities that suffer the most know that there's something wrong with their communities. Like there's no reason I should not, ha I should have trouble finding healthy food. There's no reason I should have trouble going to a park. And I think just my experience in these organizations, what it did for me and shifted and how it shifted my idea of health is now I know like the vocabulary that has to go with it and that, oh, okay, things like a policy do affect why some people are able to have better access to health than others. 
And so now all it in all honesty, like all the my experience with these organizations did was open my eyes to the stories that a lot of people have. So I got hired onto policy wise to work with sound editing. And even though that's like, oh, how does that even connect? It's like what I learned with the No Youth Media is storytelling is a big thing for just being able to make substantial change at the policy level. And like I've worked on podcasts and even just a film project about like things like homeless resources in Fresno and just issues in Fresno in general. And I realized that I realized like there's many platforms to actually make substantial change. And you, it, a lot of people just don't have the vocabulary or platform to even go and tell their stories. And these are the people that are the most directly affected by uh, public health decisions and legislative decisions, but they don't know how to go up to their like local officials and say, and say, oh, this is what I, change I wanna see. And a lot of people don't trust their local officials, which I completely understand, but a lot of people don't know how to make substantial change. And so all my experience with these organizations did and was shift my idea of health as let people tell tell their own stories and let people get a platform to even be able to make substantial change. I'm, I'm just kind of soaking in what you're saying and, and thinking about how we need to create structures where people can utilize the skills that they have, right? Like instead of, you know, I think our current model where you have to have this, these skill sets in order to, you know, be seen as a change maker in your community. Why don't we try to create more avenues of creating change within your community utilizing skill sets that you've already gained? And I think that we're starting to make strides in that direction. Um, seeing more art as a form of, making change and seeing, um, you know, other forms of activism. But then also, I think there's also been new forms of policymaking um, and new ideas around how to engage the population or community in creating policy outside of, like, you know, the few people who sit around um, in, in a, you know, the traditional smoke-filled back room making <laughs> decisions on behalf of thousands and millions. Um, there's participatory budgeting happening. There's... Um, jurisdictions like I think it was the city of New York um, that is now uh, a, a, you don't you now do not have to be a citizen in order to vote in their elections you just have to be a resident of the city anyway so there's different ways of, of thinking about that I think that we're kind of at this this moment where we can start to rethink the way that we um, think about making decisions for the community one of the questions I have for you Raymart um, as you as you talked about you know the, the way that people are have had distrust in public health but I think now, maybe more than ever, what the CDC says matters a lot less than what it used to. And in fact, I see a lot more memes about what the CDC is saying mm -hmm. than I do what CDC is actually saying. <laughs> um, and, and so I think that that has something to say about, like, you know, perhaps some of the actions of CDC and the federal government, but <laughs> I also think it's somewhat of a reflection of society. As a public health major, how do you see all this? For me, I think it's just another situation of the wrong people being in positions of power. I feel like a lot of the mistrust for even just the healthcare system in the U.S. has come from like real like forms of like systemic racism. And just a lot of the, I, I had somebody tell me like at my job, if you don't see any rich people taking it, don't take it. And it's like, at first, you know, a lot of people like to downplay <laughs> a lot of that stuff as, oh, you know, some people are just crazy, but it's like, there is some serious mistrust of the government, of the government and the public health systems in the U.S. And at first it's like, oh, that doesn't make sense. These are scientists. And like, but that mistrust has been historically proven to specifically attack certain communities and value 
different types of people over others. And so for me, it's like when the wrong people are in positions of power, you get things like the CDC saying, oh, well, I mean, you don't really need to go and quarantine for this long if you have COVID. As long as you can go and go to work and clock in and get that nine to five in, keep our businesses going, keep our economy moving. And that's where a lot of that mistrust mistrust comes from, like just wrong decisions like that. But I'm trying to say is like a lot of that mistrust makes sense. And to be able to break that mistrust, it's going to be a generational thing. And it's going to be hard to do so when the wrong people are still not only in these public health systems, but are in the electoral systems as well. Like there's no reason these 90 year old white men who are being bought out by a lot of different or companies to make certain decisions. Like there's no reason that these people should be the spokespeople, spokesperson for the public health decisions that go on in the U.S. I'm just curious as you you talk about, um, you know, the, the folks sitting in these positions making these decisions, what seat do you want to sit in in the future if you had a choice? Where where do you see yourself in this decision-making, you know, craziness that is government? It, it doesn't have to be in government either, right? Like there's a lot of nonprofits doing more work than government in certain communities. It could be for-profit as well. Just thinking what seat do you want to sit in um, when you think about your future? You know, man, I wish I could tell you, like, man, one day I'm going to run the CDC. I'm going to go down to Atlanta. I'm going to just take over completely and run it my way. But, uh, like, one of like one of the things I stress to you guys is the importance to me of local issues. And so, for me, it's like, I would love to go down to Sacramento and become a public health official and make all these decisions of where money is allocated to and fix every problem and every inequity in the state of California. But I feel like a part of the part of the reason I stayed in Fresno is because I see there's so many people that want to leave. And I think that there's plenty of opportunity here to actually make substantial change. And there's people who, like myself or maybe someone else, that can go to the Fresno Public Health Department and actually... There's people like me and there's other people that believe that they should go down to the Fresno Public Health Department and run it their way and run it with the context in mind of all the historical inequities in the city of Fresno. And the only people that should be running it is the people that are actually educated and actually have lived through that in my opinion. And even though I should, I want to keep that in mind, like I would like to think that I could make substantial change in my community. So I would like to be the head of the Fresno Public Health Department, but that's just like aiming high for me, you know, like obviously I got to start somewhere. I'm still like working on gaining experience, but that's, that's my goal for now. And it's like, of course you should aim high, but to me, aiming high is making real change in my local community. I can, I can see it. I'll vote for you. I uh, appreciate it. <laughs> I want to know, though, before I do it for you, you were talking about um, some of the things that you would do and things that you do differently. I'm curious if you have um, any specific policy ideas or specific initiatives that you would like to do right now if you were in charge of Fresno Health or maybe all of California. Well, for me, one of the biggest issues that I think people are going to have to deal with forever is rent. And I think something as simple as rent control could go a long way, especially in the middle of a pandemic, something as simple as enacting rent control is an act of public health for me, making sure people are secure about their living and don't have to worry about losing their jobs because of the pandemic and not maybe not having a home for their kids by the time they clock out. So that's one of the, my priorities. And something I do want to educate myself on as well, um, like a, I, I watched Ellie's uh, podcast episode to her introduction and I heard about like her uh, passion about um environmental health and environmental racism and to me it's like I do want to I do feel like 
whoever is going to be running the country in the next 20, 30, 40 years should keep in mind that envi the environment is probably going to be one of the biggest issues that is going to be facing us in the next, well, it's, it's facing us now, right? So it's like, I do feel I want to be more educated in that and make the right decisions. I was even, in, I remember I, uh, I, I bought my little lotto ticket the other day and I was, I actually just sat down and I was thinking if I won the lottery, like, what would I do with that money? And I would want to be more educated about environmental science and what I could do to help fight climate change. And that's just something I want to educate myself on more as a public health major, because I feel like it really is like attacking us head on right now. So, and now is like the time we have to make change for that. So that's one of the things I, I would definitely value. Totally. Yeah. It's all connected. It's all about intersectionality yeah. and like they go hand in hand as issues. So I'm super excited to talk more about that. Um, and props to you. For those of you listening, like this is completely unscripted, like off the cuff, like Raymar <laughs> is handling these questions like a total pro. So this is like chef's kiss as Demi did one time. Um, I'm curious, obviously, policy wise as a podcast, is centered on youth voice and policy and youth voice in these political conversations. So I mean, think, um, I guess, given your your interest in public health and public health policy, how do you think youth voice fits into that? And like, what do you think is important for young people to have a say in when it comes to public health? Young people should always be the first people that come to mind when looking to see what change is going to be made in a community because they're the ones that are going to be affected by these. A lot of like bills and policies like, they get past one year and it's going to be in in act for like the next five, 10, 20 years. Like people don't know that like the things they're voting for now, people that things that they might not even read fully are going to be like in like are going to be law for the next 10, 20, 30 years and are going to affect young people. So definitely one of the things that I would like to emphasize is the importance of youth education and not necessarily like in the educate like the traditional sense of the education systems in the U.S., but helping young people formulate their ideas to be able to go and talk about the issues that they care about because young people are the ones that know like head on like these are the issues my parents face these are the issues my grandparents face and these are the things that I'm terrified of and so for me youth voices has always been something I value and it's like just giving young people room to grow is one of the most important things for me like my one of the gr biggest things that I took away from Youth Leadership Institute was I was an ignorant little kid and I was somebody too that didn't value like politics or mental health or just self-care in general or just community care in general. I didn't really care about any of that stuff. So giving young people room to grow, I think is one of the biggest things. Creating more safe spaces for young people outside of like the education system, giving them the opportunities to even speak up. And you know, you, you're seeing it to an extent now, like a lot of young people are leading a lot of great campaigns and um. I think that's the thing that catches a lot of people off guard, like, oh, young people can, like, do know about these issues just because they don't know the vocabulary. Like what Michael uh, was talking about earlier, like, there's so many, like, alternate forms of substantial change being made right now. Like, one of the biggest things I took away from, like, some of the retreats I went to on these, some of the retreats I went to was young people who said, this was in Sacramento, the uh, UC Davis retreat, somebody said, I don't know what these policymakers are talking about, I just know I don't want this to happen in my community and I don't know how to say it without sounding stupid and I think creating these avenues for young people to be able to develop and just speak about what they care about is one of the most important things to me absolutely yeah and I feel like a lot of the time young people can sometimes just be used as like 
a mascot for a lot of like older officials like oh see well yeah. there's a young person on my team and they're talking about this x y and z and they line up with our views they endorse me basically and a lot of young people don't know any better so for me it's just like genuinely like caring about what young people are saying without using it as a soundbite i think is something i really care about it's a really good point and it's also nothing that we've ever talked about on this podcast before is like the tokenization of young people on on you know some of the bigger organization boards or you know in certain situations and i think it's really awesome to bring up um just to to go back to what you said about you know creating safe spaces for young people um to meet outside of school i want to ask you a few questions about your work um for equitable parks in fresno um could you tell us a little bit more about your role in that? Um, and then also maybe could you talk about how that relates to some of the broader things that you were already talking about? So our Parks for All campaign in Fresno uh, took place over uh, like the past five years. Almost, almost a, it was like a decades long worth of trying to just bring more green spaces to South Fresno. I come to this park because um, it just seems safer, better. And why don't you go to a park that's closer to your home? Because it doesn't seem as safe. Uh, for anybody that's not from Fresno, like basically North Fresno is the richer, wider side of town and South Fresno is not that. There's more trash in the ground than the trash cans, let's say that. And if you look at the map, there seems to be like a little Mason-Dixon line and down on these, in South Fresno, it's like, it's worse air quality, not as many green spaces for young people. The more safe places we have access to, parks, green space, playgrounds, the more likely we are to be physically active. Regular physical activity has been shown to reduce risk of early deaths from high blood pressure, heart disease, some cancers, mental health conditions, and diabetes. So that, of course, like, you know, being a public health major, like, I'm like, oh, so this means that people in South Fresno don't deserve equal access to health equal access to green spaces. Good parks usually means good area. But if you don't have it near you, you have to like, like ride pretty far or like get a ride. What Measure P did was it created a tax to bring more funding for a lot of the green spaces and all throughout Fresno. It's important to be active because your body needs to be healthy. And at first it failed and it was a youth-led campaign over years. Parks like this is where I unleash my competitive side. Let's invest in these parks so we can unleash the competitor in all of us. These were young people going door to door and canvassing in South Fresno and holding events in South Fresno at these parks that were almost barren. I had to throw main park, big fields and open places for me to practice really what our city needs. And it was all to just uh, create a sense of community like, hey, like you may not like how these parks look right now, but there's a reason why they don't look the way you want them to. Let's fix our parks, hashtag parks for all. And I've seen people that have never voted in their lives Let's fix these parks and create one healthy Fresno with Parks for All. Decide, okay, yeah, I do want to take my kids to the park without having to worry about trash and litter. And Parks are basically an area for you to have family activities and not just stay inside the house all day. It gives you an excuse to come out and bond. It would make me feel good because I could like go outside every day and just play. Everybody should be able to play in the same way. My role in the Parks for All campaign was I was a I was one of those young people that were going door to door. I've never canvassed before, so I was like, Fresno Fresno gets 110 degrees. So I was like, man, holding these events is a little sweat. But I didn't really think much of it until I seen that 
it it didn't pass at first. So what what happened was there was a rule where it needed three fourths of the total vote to pass, and it got like fifty one, fifty two percent of the vote, and it eventually it eventually got appealed because they said, wait, like nothing's yeah, nothing's nothing's gonna pass with three fourths of the vote, and it got overturned. So now like Measure P is in Fresno, and a lot of tax money is gonna be going to helping improve a lot of these green spaces. And for me, like one of the biggest things I seen was people that couldn't vote, young people, undocumented people, like leading the charge on a lot of these campaigns and events and canvassing just to be able to see substantial change for their young siblings to be able to go to the park and know that they'll be safe. So I, I just showed me the power of youth voice, even just being a part of that, just seeing young people really lead the way. It, it, it's, it inspires me every day. So yeah, that's, that's awesome. awesome. That's so good. Um, no, it's really exciting to see. And I've lived in Fresno for a bit, and I am really excited for the whole project. So, yeah, thank you. I'm glad you were able to make this one slide. You know, you <laughs> you swung it. Yeah, no, it's just barely. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Michael. <laughs> I wanted to ask, I want to pose this question first to Raymar and, and the rest to the group because um, I feel like it might be really interesting, but what did y'all want to do? What were you interested in when you were growing up and think that you were going to spend your entire future doing? Because, Raymart, you mentioned um, that, you know, the, the idea of community health and what you're into now, like, that wasn't, that wasn't necessarily what you were thinking about growing up. And so when you were a kid, where, where, where did your interests lie and what were you focused on and where did you think you were going? Uh, so for me... I really thought I I really like movies and music and I thought I was like going to be a producer of a movie maker or something but it's really interesting how that outlet came to be because the whole reason I joined the No Youth Media was like oh man I want to make movies like Spielberg or something you know I want to like Tarantino I want to make movies and little did I know like just learning the skills to be able to do that and even like hopefully learning the skills here with policy wise and sound editing creates a platform for community health so it's crazy how things work out like that, how like your early passions are just a segue to what you really want to do. I feel the same way because my whole thing now is like environmental science is what I'm studying. And I don't know exactly what career path that'll turn into. But when I was younger, I thought I was either going to be a veterinarian or a marine biologist. So still like science based, focusing on like animals and like wildlife and stuff. And now I'm actually studying part of what i'm studying is marine conservation so i guess i wasn't that far off but it's kind of funny how like we go through all these different cycles and kind of loop back to where we used to be but yeah it wasn't actually until like end of high school when i got involved in climate activism that i was like oh yeah this is specifically what i'm gonna study in college what about you demi i i don't i don't even know when um when i mean i i kind of relate to like what raymart was saying at the beginning of just like not really being, I, I like, I mean, Raybar, maybe I'm underselling you here um, because you seem like you were involved much younger than I was. Um, but I was, wasn't really involved in like a lot of, you know, I just didn't have like a lot of awareness of what was happening outside of my like small town, nor did I have like a lot of awareness of like what I could do to change it. And so I think it took a bit for me to realize like, oh, wow, I could do something with it. And it wasn't until then that I really wanted to do stuff in like public policy or in education and or some like version of the mix. Um, but I think like my first earliest thing was that I was going to do something in psychology. Um, so I studied that in college and 
you know, I was really interested in the way people think and the way people care about each other and the way people empathize. And I think that was always been like my main focus. Um, and it kind of just like trying to track it in the most linear way, it kind of just turned into a realization that many of the things that I was interested in as far as like, you know, someone's mental health or mindset um, was figuring out how to mitigate the environmental factors that cause some of the major issues um, to someone's uh, mental health. So in some way or another, it has been kind of linear. Um, but yeah, not definitely not like a, a straightforward track. Um, how about you, Michael? Um, I did a 180, basically. I did not care about <laughs> policy, politics, none. Like, if you would have came up to me in high school and been like, what do you think about this bill? I'd be like, what does that have to do with me? <laughs> um, <laughs> I wanted to be a vet for a lot of years uh, and even started memorizing, yeah. Yeah, I was on yes. I started memorizing dog breeds. I started memorizing cat breeds. Uh, my favorite channel was Animal Planet, like Animal Cops. I'm there. Like the most extreme. Like I was there. Um, it wasn't until my senior year of high school when I took a government class. It was when I like when it when once it was broken down to me and explained to me, I said, This is crazy. This is crazy. This is what our country is running on. This right here. Um, <laughs> and that was kind of the start to me getting involved um, and, and caring a little bit more about what's happening. I also think that, you know, maybe to, to, some, to some degree, um, the time of which we make these realizations, I, you know, I, I find it very interesting um, to think about, you know, people, people like me. Like, I graduated high school in 2016. And I know that, like, for example, if you graduated high school between, let's say, like, 2014 to, like, probably 2020, maybe 2021, I'm very interested to see, like, the the amount of people who made their career decisions based off of what was happening in the world. Because if it wasn't for the election of 2016, I definitely wouldn't have applied to college with a political science major. I was preparing to apply with animal science or biology um, and maybe would have figured it out later. Maybe and who knows? Maybe I haven't even figured it out yet. You know, that's what I'm. That's what I'm afraid of. Ellie, when you said like, "Oh, like we make full circle," I'm like, <laughs> "Are you sure the circle's complete?" Like, <laughs> because I feel like every day, like we find something new about ourselves, or we find a new interest, and you start to realize more about like what you care about and how that relates to your past or whatever. Um, but I I sat in the government class and and it was like, it was like the you know like one of those scenes where the sun is coming up over the horizon it's like oh this makes <laughs> sense yeah that was me that was me learning about government um and i just oh, i just really man. started to enjoy it and you know I, I feel like i got lucky there but i find it really interesting to hear like oh what did you think you were gonna do before you know get coming into college and like i thought i was gonna go to law school when i started coming into college like oh i'm gonna graduate and go to law school and become a Back then, I wanted to do, like, either, like, civil rights or constitutional law was actually what I used to say, constitutional law. Um, and then my junior year happened, and I was like, no, policy. And everybody's like, policy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, policy. So we'll see <laughs> we'll see how that changes, because I, I think I'm still moving around. And I applied to grad school with higher ed policy. Like, all over my application was higher ed. And I wrote in my application to my master's program that I would get a PhD in higher ed policy. And, like... My first semester of grad school, absolutely not. <laughs> so who knows? <laughs> Psych. 
No, man, I feel what you're saying. I feel like a lot of the curriculum that we have, like, in school, like, determines where we'll be going, like, in our future. Just, you know, you'll be sitting in class, like, bored one day, and you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Like, oh, that, I find that, like, kind of inspiring. Like, I got I got Asian parents who came from the Philippines. They wanted me to be a doctor, a nurse, but I never have that feeling in biology class. So, <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think that's another thing too. You know, a big shift in like educational curriculum to make sure like we maximize the potential of young people. I think is very important. Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, I'm thinking back to high school, and I never took any environmental science courses at all. It wasn't offered. So, like when I applied to college and I listed that, it was like fully based on whatever extracurricular like social movement work I had done, and it was kind of going in blind. And obviously, you have time to change it around in college but I think it's been so rewarding to be sitting in classes that I never had the chance to take in high school and be feeling like oh yeah this is where I belong this is what I want to do and I, I agree with you I think it'd be so nice if people if younger kids could have that experience from a much earlier age yeah and like going back to another one of Remar's points of like teaching like giving you the ability to like critically think you know or like teaching that in as part of school like because youth can all do it but I feel like the you know anyone can do it it's just like we don't get the lessons like taught to us at an earlier age like have the opportunity to like think like I feel like so many of the lessons that we learn are like memorization of a certain topic and you know I felt like I wasn't passionate about anything because I was like okay I can memorize it and like put it on a test and you know do okay but at the end of the day like I, I feel like at least for me like I didn't start getting passionate about like any topics until I realized you know I could somehow like I feel like I was taught in a way to think that everything has already been figured out when realistically like we should be teaching in a way to be like critical about what we're hearing slash you know be able to figure out what level we should endorse something and how to formulate our arguments and how to formulate like a thought opinion and use like our own personal experience to build that and especially talking about like the like our education system sorry this is what I'm passionate about so I'll hand it back to you Raymar but I feel like I just feel like our education system is so built upon you know a very minimal set of voices um like their thoughts and beliefs and now we have so many people who have the ability and should have the ability to change the system and so we just need so many more voices altering the system especially youth voices and especially youth voices that are non-white um so anyways yeah. back to you Raymar. back to you that's a great point because i feel like when we think about the education system in the u.s it feels like we have to acknowledge things like the school to prison pipeline and how certain demographics are more likely to be suspended or expelled or end up in prison like after school because it's crazy to think about how we look back at high school and we're like yeah it was just memorization I hated school and it was like dang school's supposed to be the place where we you know like maximize our potential and figure out what we want to do not it shouldn't have to feel like oh I'm I'm scared to be here so no like th- those are those are all great points so I, I think the goal of every generation is just to give the next generation the tools they need to succeed so you know it's it's interesting that we're now we're on the topic of education you could tell demi and i have an extra pep in our step <laughs> um <laughs> I, I i just talked to one of my one of my mentors um and she's she's awesome but she was just telling me about how much like the education system is not built for the student it's built for parents like the the fact like when i look back on on high school and like middle school elementary school 
that I would be by 7.30 in the morning, I'm sitting in class? <laughs> oh, no. Like, <laughs> there's no way. And now that I know myself a little bit more, I know that there's absolutely no way I'm doing anything at 7.30 in the morning. How was I 13 years old? <laughs> whoa, whoa. You were working out this morning, Michael. And look yeah. how I turned out yeah. later in the day. Just about to say. <laughs> You're the way I turned out late. For, for for people listening, I went on a, a short little rant about how my day went. And I started by working out at 6 o'clock in the morning. And the whole rest of my day has been a train wreck. <laughs> um, I was falling asleep in the middle of talking at a point. It was so bad. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, like as kids, we used to every single day, 730 in the morning in class and be there for hours on end, like, and then get picked up after and do homework every day. Like it's designed to keep us busy. It's designed for parents to like be able to drop them off before work and pick them up after work and the kids have something to do and, and it's not designed around the individual student and what they might bring to the classroom or what they might actually be interested in. It's like, here's the, and, and I agree with like that. There is a set of things that everybody should probably learn. Like I, I agree with that, but I think it's the way that it's given to us is in such a way that's like, you are expected to be good at everything. And like, you know, I remember sitting, I mean, I had, I, my parents encouraged the strong encouragement of honors and AP courses. And I remember <laughs> sitting in honors biology, like, oh, yeah. oh, I had no business being there other than like, I wanted to be a vet. Like now that I look back, <laughs> I sat in honors bio and was really like, what is going on? Here? I'll never forget. Real, real quick story. I feel like I've taken up a lot of time. Michael, you said it was your, Michael said it. No, it's just funny because you said it was your government class that told you to do policy. And I kind of feel like it was AP your bio. AP bio class that told you not to do when biology. I, that's what I should have learned. That's really when I should have known. <laughs> Sorry, not to, no, not to you're, roast you're you real fast. You're absolutely correct. And I, I was really, realistically never to sit in a bio class ever again. <laughs> but <laughs> I remember taking it once and like, okay, this is this is so bad. But the question was, like, what fuels active transport? Like, something like that. Like, some super, like, niche bio question. And I... Like, AT, you... ATP. <laughs> it is actually ATP. ATP. And here's how I knew that. Like, yes, literally, I was are. on the test. I definitely got a D on this exam. But I was looking at the answers, and I forgot what the answers were. And I remember <laughs> being, like, active transport. Active transport. ATP. Yes, must be that. And then I remember getting the exam back and looking at it and being like, yo! Atomic guessing. But that's literally what we did in so many classes. Okay. My rant's over. Thank you. No. no I'm I like like right now I'm working at like the, the back of a thrift store warehouse and I you know I work with people on welfare welfare, some of the hardest working people I know, and they say, You still go to school? Uh uh-uh, uh, I couldn't do that. And I'm like, I feel you. No, for real. No, but I like how I like how earlier you mentioned like your mentors. I got a question like because, you know, we talked about the importance of youth voice. I feel like an important part of that, too, is mentorship. Do you, do you guys feel like you got your mentors from school? Michael and I were just having this conversation the other night, actually, about mentors. Um, <laughs> do you yeah. want to expand, Michael? You're like the mentor king, both in terms of like, I don't know. I feel like 
I feel like Michael isn't gonna like me saying this, but I feel like Michael's my mentor, and he's gonna be like, Aww. no, 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 we're coworkers, <laughs> whatever. But you are sorry. But Michael's also like the like mentee king because he has like so many awesome mentors, and I'm like still trying to learn from you on to like how to collect them like little Pokemon. Um, and now just keep in mind, all the mentors that Michael had is getting passed down to you technically, so like through him. So yeah. Oh my goodness. No, like That's send some how contacts I would say over. You, you collect mentors the same way you collect mentees. It just happens. <laughs> it really just happens. Um, I I honestly think that mentorship is probably one of the most single, most effective things that makes someone successful. Really, like, I if I think of all the like things, not all, a lot of the things that I'm very proud of that I've accomplished so far, like the things that I've done, I can point to a person who like pulled me in or like showed me the ropes or like made that doable. And so like, I think when I when I think about the greatest mentors, I have up until this point almost no not almost all of them were organic i would say and it was kind of like you meet them in a random moment and it's like oh we connect on this one thing oh like let's talk again oh i ran into them again um i could tell a quick story the one that i told ellie the other day um dr wood who who i'll make sure to send him the podcast um and dr sandra cook so i met them both on campus at sdsu um, and uh, Dr. Cook and I connected really early on, and we still talk till this day. She's retired now. Um, but I was TAing for her class. She picks one student every year to TA for her the next year. And in her, like, over two decades of teaching, I was the first student she's ever had who had the same personality as her, like, on a personality test. And that was when we first connected. Um, but uh, I was given the name of our guest speaker because she couldn't make it for the day. So I was kind of, like, to bring in the guest speaker and let them take over the class. And she told me his name was Dr. Tarbox. And I said, okay, some dude named Dr. Tarbox, right? So then some guy, like, comes, like, to the door and I see him peeking in. In my head, oh, that's Dr. Tarbox. So I open up the door and I'm like, Dr. Tarbox? He goes, no, I'm Dr. Wood. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> and I was like, Michael, I'm doing this class for Dr. Sandra Cook. And he goes, oh, okay. Well, and he's he's black. He has a big afro. And it was in the education building. He was like, oh, I run the PhD in education here. And I was a sophomore at SDC. I was like, what does PhD in education have to do with me? And, like, <laughs> kind of took his business card and was like, okay, <laughs> whatever. He was like, yeah, we should talk sometime. And I was like, right. I don't even know what I did with that business card. I was like, yeah, whatever. And then later, like, a few minutes later, an actual, like, another dude came by. And I was like, you're Dr. Tarbox. He was like, yeah, I'm Dr. Tarbox. And I was like, okay, come on in. Um, but, like, literally that same week, I went to an event. And it was like political participation in the black community or something like that. And I just saw the flyer and I was like, oh, this sounds dope. I walk in. Who do I see is like the guest panelist, Dr. Wood. And I was like, okay. This was like oh, th that same week. And I was like, okay, this guy got something going on. And like, I remember when I walked in, he like looked at me and he was like, I know you. And I was like, huh. And then we, him and I just connected and that relationship grew on for years. Of course, there's others, but I think it always happens organically and you kind of naturally get there but those are the people who would tell you the insides those are the people who are going to be real with you uh, i would say i learned some of the greatest lessons from mentors it's when you have problems and you come to them for solutions but i'd also say that the relationship works both ways is like you get to teach them cool things and they'll start to ask you questions and i feel like the relationship just just grows um i i would say that i i try i try to connect people with others who i think would make good you know 
partnerships as mentors and mentees. Uh, some, although I'd say it's like finding like a, a good therapist. Um, <laughs> like sometimes you'll think you'll really pair well with somebody and then you meet them and you're like, that's not going to work. <laughs> and, then you, and then you just, they're a LinkedIn connection now. Um, but I think it's, it's just <laughs> like good on paper. Yeah. And just because they're in a different field or like do something different than you or have different passions doesn't mean they can't be a mentor. It, it just, you know, like I, I feel like they all my mentors come from different fields and do different things. But it's more about a personal connection. I'll step down from the soapbox yeah. now. No, I like. A, <laughs> no, I feel you like um, I think even just looking back even school back school back then and even now, it's like you see people who are like, oh, those people are like active and you're like, they kind of just want a letter of rec, don't they? I feel like if you really want to mentor, you really want to be in your field, like make connections. I think the best thing you can do is just stay passionate about what you want to be passionate about, because that's that's the most organic way to not just meet mentors and mentees, but just to connect with people in general, and learn about your field. I feel like I'm still in that process, in the process of that. I think we all are. But I I think, you know, just staying passionate about what you care about could take you a long way. So. I also want to say that I feel like maybe <laughs> when Michael and I were having this conversation, I was like, I don't know, like, if I really have like what you would call a mentor, like any like, like textbook definition of mentor. And I kind of feel like with what you said, Michael, of like something being organic, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just like, oh, no, that's just my oh. friend. They're not my mentor. It's just my friend. <laughs> but they actually are your mentor. And I feel like, I don't know, I was just like in my head thinking about it. But I think everyone also has like a different career path and a different vision for what they want their future to be. And like you don't, mentorship is so important, but it doesn't always look the same for everybody. And I think at least in my, what I'm studying with environmentalism, we're a very like community-based group of people and very like passionate about how like we haven't in the past done what we needed to do. So like we're the ones who are coming up with this stuff going forward. So I think a lot of what I would call, who I would call mentors are people who are still my age and we just get together and we advise each other on like what we think and what where we want to go. And I think just finding what works for you and you probably already have mentors in your life and then it doesn't necessarily have to be like, oh, but this person isn't like at least 10 years older than me and a professor and like super established in his field. Like mentorship can look really different for a lot of different people and it's all super uh, valuable. Yeah, so, you know, something I want to point out too, like that that age gap topic that you just brought up, um, even just like some of the work I've done with YLI, you know, a lot of it is based on like community healing, learning about like local issues and just issues that have to do with people in color in general. I found like I connected more with a college intern that came in and taught a series about mental health and environmental racism. I was like, these are topics that I've never heard about from a lot of the older mentors that I've had. And it's because you got to remember, like a lot of young people are just getting these issues now. Like these issues are just getting like textbook definitions now. So it, it's crazy to be able to connect with people and still learn a lot more from people like that are in your age group. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Totally. I think it says a lot to... I mean, being a youth podcast and saying like, oh, this is youth voice to have a lot of mentors of, you know, of the similar age who might also be considered youth. Because I, I totally agree with Ellie as far as like not really understanding if someone is a mentor or not and the different ways that it might look. Um, just to, to bring it back to to Raymart really quickly. Um, I know we're wrapping up soon, but what kinds of topics are you looking forward to most on 
policy-wise, what would you most like to discuss? That's a great, that's a great question. To be honest, I think something I learned with Youth Voice in general is like everybody has their own perspectives on everything. So I'm, I've always been more so of like, I love to hear your guys' stories. Like I like to see what people care about. For me, it's community health, it's local issues. I mean, I'm, I can't be on here talking about Fresno every day, but just hearing like what people are passionate about is one of the things that I value most, most about Youth Voice. So I just want to you know, be able to step down and like listen to y'all and hear y'all perspective on things. And even like other uh, guest hosts, guest people, like I want to hear about what really makes people tick about the issues they care about. So. Okay, you literally just said guest host and I know it was like off the top and you're just like stream of consciousness answering that, but like, why is that such a good idea? And we haven't ever thought of that. And like, this is literally just your introduction video. And I'm like, oh, guest host. Host. that's so that's cool right so i know Y'all that was connected. a hit who is your dream guest besides me ellie and michael <laughs> dead or alive um one of each i think dead you gotta be practically here. Yeah. If I were to bring back anybody from the day, once once we get that metaverse technology going, you know, we can bring people back digitally, have some podcasts. Um, out dead, I would probably have a Andres Bonifacio. That's a Filipino revolutionary. Um, did a lot of work in the Philippine Revolution. So that's who I that's who I'd bring on dead alive. I think not necessarily because X, Y, and Z, but I think it would be hilarious to have that. Dr. Anthony Fauci here. I think it would be hilarious to have him here and see how much, <laughs> how much he has to say. I feel like I hear the same thing from him over and over. I th- I feel like young people can really press him on some questions. <laughs> but you'd be like, I'm taking your job. Yeah, exactly. So, watch out. <laughs> and even just you know, I feel like, I can't name any off the top, but a lot of the young people that are doing work in, in the community, I would love to hear their perspectives on the issues they care about. So there's a lot. There's a lot to choose from. So. Yes, definitely. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We're so excited to have you join the PolicyWise team. And I know our listeners are super excited too. And I can't wait to start collaborating on some exciting things like guest hosts, which is like now (laughs) going to be implanted in my brain until our next meeting. Um, So yes, just thank you for this this great conversation. I'm so excited. Um, And thank you to Demi and Michael for for hosting this as well. Yeah. Go PolicyWise. Raymar's kind of like a host guest. Yeah, kind of. Oh <laughs> kinda. my god! I'm the, I'm the first guest host. The blueprint. Yeah. The blueprint. Oh. I see what you did there, Demi. Thank you. Can't do much. You need uh, to thank you keep me on my toes. I need to do better. <laughs> <laughs> this was Policy Wise, an intergenerational podcast by Youth Leadership Institute, focused on bringing young people into the policy conversation. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at PolicyWisePod. If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss, please slide into our DMs or send us an email at policywise at yli.org. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes.